0: Please let me look. I happen to be a doctor. That's very kind of you. Look, oh, turn around the light, please. Now look up. Now look down. Keep still. That's it. There. Oh, what a relief. It was agonizing. Looks like a bit of grit. It was when the express went through. Thank you very much indeed. There we go. Almost run. I like it me, you happened to be here. Anybody could have done. Never Do mind, you did, and I'm most grateful. There's my train, I'm scared. Goodbye. Goodbye. Released 75 years ago this month, Brief Encounter was adapted from a one act play called Still Life, written by Noel Coward in 1935. The premise is simple, if not deceptively bland. A married woman meets a married man in a railway station, and from there, a love affair develops. But what complicates matters and stops it from remaining thoroughly bland throughout is the way the affair does not develop. The film was directed by David Lean, who is now remembered for his later Oscar winners, Bridge on the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. In comparison to those epics, Lean's first three films all have small canvases. In which we serve, a drama also written by Coward, and which Lean co-directed with him, was a wartime drama set aboard a naval destroyer. Next came This Happy Breed, again based on a Coward play, focusing on a middle-class London family as they wove their way through the interwar years. And thirdly, Blythe Spirit, adapted from a play written by You-Know-Who, in which a happily married couple are haunted by the ghost of the husband's dead wife. Coward was the dominant force in British theatre during the 1930s, so drawing from his work was practically a box office magnet. But Coward was more than just a playwright. He was also an actor, composer and singer. To coin a term, he was a great British brand. However, even though Brief Encounter was adapted from Coward's one-act play, and the film credits Coward with the script, he barely wrote a word of it. Instead, it was Lean and his two collaborators, Anthony Havelock Allen and Ronald Neame, who did all the writing. Beyond a contractual obligation that Coward's name remained somewhere on screen, it was always going to be easier to market the film by having Coward's name all over the posters, rather than the audience thinking that this trio of 'er ne'er-do-wells had pilfered it from their beloved Coward. In fact, Coward didn't even come up with a change of title. Still Life was renamed Brief Encounter by Coward's regular costume designer, Dallas Calthrop, who had been hired in by Lien to do the wardrobe for the film. Ask anyone who has seen it, they will either reference the sequence in the train station, lead actress Celia Johnson's clipped cut-glass accent, or Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto. I don't know whose idea that was, but it was inspired. The opening chords, repeated, each time in crescendo, so when the strings swell in, they immediately impart a sense of destiny hurtling towards you, sweeping you up and carrying you off with deep emotion. (laughs) Celia Johnson had worked with Glean before on This Happy Breed, playing Ethel, the enduring mother to the Gibbons children, as they all grew up. Here, she played Laura Jesson, another mother who this time endures the trembling temptation of infidelity. Johnson's performance is now held as one of the greatest in the history of British cinema, and while that accolade is more than deserved, when the film was released, the surprise package came in who played opposite her. Trevor Howard, who played Dr Alec Harvey, had appeared in only one film before, and in that film, The Way Ahead, he made but one quick appearance, as an officer aboard a torpedo transport, issuing orders to the crew. Right, get below. Try and keep the magazine cool with the hoses. You, you three, go with The rest of you lose as much weight as possible from this side of the ship. Start with this transport. Not enough, you think, to steal anyone's show. But from that fleeting moment, Lean sensed that Howard had something. And even though Lean and his lead actor would repeatedly butt heads during production, Lean's instincts proved correct. Capturing the yearning Laura and Alec have for one another, Johnson and Howard found the perfect tone for the unconsummated lovers and it is their chemistry that accounts for a lot of the film's durability. Shall I see you again? It's the other platform, isn't it? We have to run. Don't bother about me, might not do for a few minutes. Shall I see you again? Yes, of course. Perhaps we'll come out to catch with one Sunday. It's rather far, I know, but we should be delighted. Please, please. What is it? Next Thursday, the same time. No, I couldn't possibly. Please. I ask you, most humbly. You'll miss your train. All right. Goodbye. How be there? Thank you, man. When discussing the film, a lot of modern audiences can't understand why Laura keeps dithering and just won't get into bed with Alec. For many years, her hesitation and discomfort was dismissed as nothing more than post-war middle-class morality, that dated the film terribly. But for me, such opinions have only ever revealed that those critics simply weren't paying attention. As early as the film's opening sequence, the script spells out, very clearly, why Laura won't betray her husband and have a fling with Alec. She got some awful kind of jam through going out on a picnic and she was ill for months and months. I wish you'd stop talking. I wish you'd stop prying and trying to find things out. I wish you were dead. No, I don't mean that. That was silly and unkind. But i wish you'd stop talking my dear all her hair came out and she said the social life was quite quite horrid provincial you know and very nouveau riche from that we should be able to discern that laura is a person who is quite sensitive to the feelings and well-being of others so sensitive in fact that she admonitors herself for even thinking ill of someone else she didn't tell Darcy messeter she wished she would drop dead she merely thought it and the very thought of it is enough for laura to censor herself That is the reason why Laura can't fully commit to the affair. She knows it would hurt her husband Fred, and is wracked with fear of the heartache and confusion it would bring upon her children, Bobby and Margaret. Such things are surely not exclusive to 1940s Britain, or indeed the middle class, of any country or culture. Surely such a conscience exists in all eras and all areas of society. It merely comes down to the individual, The person either embraces the impulse, or they don't. Just as the film does not mock Laura's allegedly bourgeois values, it doesn't eulogise her either. Instead, it seeks to understand her. More than that, Brief Encounter shows us the importance of the inner life. And it is so rare that a film celebrates the inner life of a woman. That is the reason why the film has aged so well, and in all likelihood will be the reason why it will continue to do so well into the future. You can see its influence right now in Todd Haynes' new picture, Carol. Adapted from Patricia Highsmith's novel The Price of Salt, not only does this drama chart the unfolding of a secret affair, it structures itself in the same way as Lean's picture. Opening as it does near the end, before going back to explain the chain of sorrows that led us to this moment of impending heartache. But while Carol does not deploy the voiceover technique that so strongly underpins brief encounter, it does go so far as to echo the moment when, saying goodbye, a departing hand is placed sadly on the shoulder of a lover. Another place we can see the influence of Brief Encounter is Carol Reed's 1949 masterpiece, The Third Man. Both films were lensed by director photography Robert Krasker, but it was for Reed's mystery thriller, which Krasker lit Vienna with expressionless shadows, that won him the Academy Award. And if you look carefully, you will see images in Brief Encounter of Laura and Alec as they walk along the corridors and tunnels of the train station, their shadows stretching out ahead of them before we actually see them. You might say that Krasker was experimenting with the idea before perfecting it a few years later, but if you look at the shadows in Brief Encounter, you will recognise that they are more than just plays with light. The shadows possess a secondary value. As I said, the shadows stretch out ahead of Laura and Alec, the darkness hinting that their relationship is no future. Another example of Brief Encounter's influence is As Brief Encounter approaches its climax in the tea room, Alec walks to his train, leaving Laura behind, but still wanting to run out onto the station platform and stop him from disappearing out of her life forever. As Laura waits, Lean has Krasker's camera slowly track in on her, and as that happens, we hear the stationmaster blowing his whistle. Then it did. I said to myself he didn't go. The last minute his courage failed him, he couldn't have gone. Any minute now he'll come back into the refreshment room pretending he's forgotten something. I prayed for him to do that, just so that I could see him again for an instant. the minutes went by when francis ford coppola went to make the godfather he did something not wholly dissimilar halfway through the crime drama michael corleone goes to avenge the attack on his father an arrangement is made for him to meet captain mccluskey and Salazzo in a restaurant in the bronx he goes to the bathroom retrieves a revolver planted there and goes back to the table he sits down and coppola has director of photography gordon willis slowly track in on Michael, and as he does so, we hear the sound of an approaching train. The nearer it comes, the louder it gets. The louder it gets, the more we feel that Michael's destiny is hurtling towards him. The screeches become excruciating until Michael finally leaps to his feet and blazes away, assassinating his two quarries. But it wasn't only other directors who drew inspiration from this masterwork. Lean himself rekindled the images. As Laura walks with Alec through the station for the last time, Lean tracks with them. It is a walk we have seen them make several times before. But this time, other commuters suddenly rush by in the opposite direction to catch their departing train. It is a simple technique, the primary value of which adds urgency, tension and counter-movement to the frame. But on closer examination, a secondary value emerges. These are two people going against the tide, struggling against forces outside of themselves. It worked brilliantly in 1945, and when two decades later, Lean went out to the snowy wastes of the Russian steppe, he repeated it in Dr. Zhivago. Halfway through the movie, as the descent and sedition begins to stir amongst the Tsar's frontline soldiers, and they return to home and to revolution, we see Zhivago walking against the bedraggled troops. As a doctor, he is seeking out the sick and the injured. And then we see Lara, walking in the same direction, against the oncoming crowds, searching for her husband. Those are the primary values of Lean's images. But again on closer examination, a secondary value emerges. These are two people going against the tide, struggling against the forces, outside of themselves. Are you a nurse? Yes. Are you all right? Yes. Then help me. Perhaps we should not be surprised by the similarities between the two scenes. After all, both rely heavily on framing and editing. And besides being a master of visual composition, Lean had begun his career as an editor. It meant that whenever he was composing an image in his head, he was always thinking of how it would play into the next shot. Such attention to detail undoubtedly paid off on Brief Encounter. And I'm certain that come its 80th anniversary, we will find yet more things at which to marvel.